And that lets you save the Who cares? True form life. Green look on Welcome to Exploring Mind and Body with Drew Tadia. Drew is an expert in nutrition, fitness, lifestyle, and more. And he wants to help you live a healthier, longer, and more active life. Now here's your host, Drew Tadia. All right, welcome back to another edition of Nationally Syndicated Exploring Mind and Body. As always, I'm your host, Drew Tadia. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for tuning in and being a part of our True Form Life community, whether you're listening across the world on a podcast or on our terrestrial radio stations across Canada. We certainly wouldn't be here without you. Today, I'm bringing on Dr. Glenn Livingston, and we're going to be talking about how to stop binge eating. I know this is a challenge for many people. It's kind of a thing that we all deal with at certain levels or at certain times. We're not really sure what the issue is, how to address it, or what to do. We're going to answer all those questions today on the show. Dr. Glenn, well, he's going to tell us to call him Glenn. It's more personal, I think. But Dr. Livingston came from a family of psychologists. He's going to talk about his chocolate addiction of chocolate and how he was able to beat that himself and you're going to be able to use some of his suggestions that he used personally on yourself today and also other suggestions that he uses on his clients on a regular basis so sit back and enjoy we got all that coming up this is exploring mind and body naturally improve your lifestyle one show at a time with your host drew tadia All right, welcome to another edition of Exploring Mind and Body. Thank you so much for being here today. We have Dr. Livingston with us. Super excited. You heard all about him in the introduction. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Dr. Livingston. Oh, thank you. Please call me Glenn, Um, but I'm very happy to be here. I've been looking forward to it all week. All right. Thanks, Glenn. We're super excited here. Glenn, why don't we jump into it? I'm excited here. Tell us about your story, how you got into what you're doing, and maybe a bit more of what you're doing for our audience here. Well, what I do is I help um, people that can't stop overeating to stop overeating. And the reason I do that is that I couldn't stop overeating for 30 years. And um, I, I, well, I I come from a family of psychologists. So that's always been first and foremost what's most important to me. And, um, you know, I, I always joke around that if something breaks in the house that we all know how to ask it how it feels, but nobody knows how to fix it. So it was, it was one of those kind of houses, and you, you don't want to come to a family reunion and that kind of thing. But um, that was always really most important to me was to, to help people. And I set out to become a psychologist. But it, probably in my late adolescence, I figured out that because I'm 6'4 and fairly muscular, if I worked out for a few hours a day, like two and a half, three hours a day, I, I could eat whatever I wanted to. Um, you know, six or 7,000 calories a day, multiple pizzas, boxes of muffins, donuts, chocolate bars, lattes, what they didn't call them lattes back then. What, whatever, um, whatever wasn't nailed down, I could put in my mouth and I, I wouldn't really gain weight. But as I got older and I got married and I was in graduate school and I had patients and a commute, I couldn't find the time to work out more than maybe three or four times a week and only for like 45 minutes. And my metabolism was slowing down, and I just found that um, I couldn't stop eating the way that I was eating. I couldn't stop thinking about food all the time. Uh, you know, I'd be sitting with a suicidal patient where you have to be 100% present, and all I could think of is, what, when can I get to the deli and dislodge my jaw and empty the contents of the, you know, the tray into my, into my mouth? 
Um, and I started getting fatter, fatter and fatter and, um, like more and more upset about it. And cause I don't have a very good genetic history. There's a lot of heart disease in my family. My doctor started yelling at me a lot, um, telling me I was going to die by the time I hit 30, my triglycerides. I have a test which says they were 816, I think, but, but I remember they being over 1100 at one point. They're, they're supposed to be like a hundred, 150 at max. And, um, I, I think that's the number. And, you know, they were saying this is ridiculous. This is more like the national debt than a, than a blood test. Um, but I couldn't stop. I, I, I just couldn't stop. And um, I tried everything you could imagine to fix it. And, and our culture, especially for a psychologist who believes that, you know, um, there is a psychological cause to every problem. When you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And, and I just, um, I went to the best psychologists I went to Overeaters Anonymous. I went to psychiatrists. I took medication. I, basically, I was trying to love myself then. I was doing my best to love myself then, and I, I found that um, I, I found that no matter what I did, it it everything was valuable on a soulful level. Like I'm not sorry that I did all the psychological introspection and you know all the work that I did and people that I met. I, I wouldn't say that they were not valuable, but they didn't stop me from binging. Some would work for a little while, and then I would gain all the weight back and more. Um, and it kind of culminated with two events. As I was, I guess, my early 40s, I, or my late 30s, early 40s, I, I'd been doing a lot of corporate consulting. I, I never had kids, and I never commuted. Um, so I had a dual career, and I did a lot of corporate consulting um, as an advertising consultant. And I knew how to run these big studies for industry about um, – you know, things I might be embarrassed about now because I felt like I was helping the wrong companies to sell the wrong things now that I know what actually goes on there and what those things actually do to our bodies. But um, I I decided to conduct a big study for myself because I, I figured if, if they're giving me so much money to run around the world and figure out how they should advertise and what people really want, then let me figure out what's the root of addiction and what psychological factors are involved with very particular types of foods that people can't stop eating. And so I asked people what kinds of food they couldn't stop eating, and I asked them all types of you know, measures about life satisfaction and work satisfaction and marital satisfaction and relationship satisfaction, and I looked for correlations, and I found three interesting things. I got 40,000 people over the course of several years to, to take the study. I found three really interesting things. One of them was that people who struggled with chocolate like I did. My, my binges always started with chocolate. And by the way, that's an interesting point. Most people have a starting point for the binge, like a preferred first bite. And if you can arrest that preferred first bite and find out something to do with it, you can really get a leverage point into the, um, into the binging. I, I figured out that's a way to simplify things later on. But um, you know, chocolate was my, was my drug of choice. And... I discovered with this 40,000-person study that people who couldn't stop eating chocolate when they started, they tended to be more lonely or brokenhearted. Um, people who couldn't stop eating salty, crunchy things tended to be stressed at work, and people who couldn't stop eating soft, chewy, starchy things like you know pasta, bagels, and bread, they tended to be more stressed at home. You know, and these weren't perfect correlations, and I'm not saying there weren't a lot of other things going on with people, but it was a noticeable pattern. And I figured that was going to be the beginning of the solution, but it, it wasn't. And I'll, I'll tell you a story that illustrates why. 
So um, it was true that I was kind of lonely and brokenhearted. I wasn't in a great marriage. And I went to my mom, who's also a therapist, and I said, Mom, you know, I found this interesting thing. And yes, I've got a, a difficult marriage, but is there anything in my upbringing which would suggest that I would rent the chocolate when I felt lonely or brokenhearted? And she got this horrible look on her face and she said, well, I'm so embarrassed, Glenn, but when, when you were a toddler, when you were a little, little boy, um, and you'd come to me crying and you wanted to be fed or held or hugged, I just didn't have it in me all the time because your dad was a captain in the army and they were talking about sending him to Vietnam. And your grandfather, my father, um, had been in prison. And I was just like shocked and depressed and overwhelmed all the time. And I hate to say it, but I, I couldn't hug you and hold you all the time then. So I, I got a little floor refrigerator and I got a big bottle of Bosco chocolate syrup and I always kept it in there. And if you came to me and I couldn't hold you at that, that point, I'd say, Glenn, go get your Bosco. Um, that brand is outdated, by the way, now, so I'm <laughs> revealing my age. But, um, and I'd go and I'd suck on the bottle and I'd go into a sugar coma and um, sugar chocolate coma. And, you know, I, at that point, I went like, oh, my God, that's it. That's the match that struck the fire. Um, and if this were the movies, I would be cured. If this was the movies, I would never have trouble with chocolate again. I would hug my mom and we would both cry and, you know, life would be good from then on. Well, I did hug my mom. We both had a little cry. And um, it was a really good conversation to have from a personal level. It brought us closer. I could forgive her for more things. She could forgive me. I could forgive myself. So it benefited me personally, but it actually made the binging worse. And the reason it made the binging worse was because there was this little voice in my head that said, you know what, Glenn? You're right. Your mama didn't love you enough, and she left a great big chocolate-sized hole in your heart. And until you can find the love of your life, you've got to go out and binge some more. Yippee! Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's go get some chocolate now. And I found very similar things when I talked to patients about their struggles with food. Um, and I, I mostly didn't – initially, I didn't work with eating disordered clients because I felt like I had one myself and it wouldn't have been ethical. Um, but as I did start to have some people struggle with that, I, I found the same thing. Um, so once we realize that we do have an issue of binge eating or overeating, what, what are some steps that we can do for our audience that might be listening or tuning in for purposes of they know they have issues with cravings or even binge eating? What are some steps, action steps we can take? Well, it turns out that it's a lot easier to intervene at the level of that crazy voice that rationalizes why you keep changing your mind and breaking your diet on Monday afternoon when you read a book over the weekend. Um, it's a lot easier to like build a better fireplace than to put out the fire. And once you have a better fireplace, you can, you know, start to look to put out the fire after that. Um, I ran into an alternative addiction treatment author. His name was Jack Trimpey. Uh, he wrote a book called Rational Recovery. And if I really paraphrase what he's saying and make it my own, my own words, basically saying you can't, you can't love yourself out of an addiction because the seat of addiction is in the lizard brain. And when a drug, and you know, make, make no, no mistake about it, the hyperpalatable concentrations of starch and sugar and fat and oil and excitotoxins that are all packaged up in these food-like substances, um, then advertise with billions of dollars to make us believe that we can't eat them and 
by the way, if you think advertising doesn't affect you, I've got news for you. Advertising affects you more when you think it doesn't affect you because your sales resistances are down. Um, and then you've got the addiction treatment industry telling you that you can't hope to control yourself. There's like this perfect storm out there targeting your lizard brain. And the lizard brain, on a very primitive level, only knows eat, mate, or kill. It doesn't know anything about your higher aspirations, about your goals and plans, about your desire to lose weight, about your strategies, about love or family or spirituality or creativity or anything that you really value as a human being. It's a very, very primitive evolutionary structure that knows eat, mate, or kill. And so if your paradigm at the moment of impulse is to say, well, I don't love myself enough, you're just going to open up to that lizard brain. And that's what was happening over and over and over again. So, Drew, here's the embarrassing part, and this is what I did. Um, I decided I was going to call my lizard brain my pig. You could call it your inner food monster. You can call it your inner B-I-T-C-H, whatever you want to call it. Um, you don't have to call it a pig. Some women don't like to do that. Um, but I called it my pig. I decided that I was going to draw very clear lines in the sand. We can talk about why clear rules as opposed to guidelines are important later on. Um, so a clear line in the sand might be, I will never eat chocolate on a weekday again. And I decided that chocolate itself on a weekday was going to be pig slop. That if I heard a little voice in my head that said, you know, chocolate is okay during the week, you know, because, gee, it grows on a grows on a cocoa bean, and a cocoa bean comes from a plant, and so chocolate's a vegetable, blah, blah, blah. Anything that suggested it was going to be okay during the week, that was, that was going to be my pig squealing. And I said, oh, I don't eat pig slop, and I don't let farm animals tell me what to do. I don't want that my pig does. And I never thought I'd be talking about this on the radio. <laughs> I, I, you know, it was a very private thing that I did. I, I worked really hard to perfect it for myself. Um, it gave me those extra microseconds that I needed to, to pause and wake up and realize who I was and what my goals were. And slowly, I started to have a sense of power and control back. I started to say, well... I don't really want that chocolate. My pig does. That's my lizard brain. And let me make this other choice instead. Um, and so the practical step that I would tell people to take, I kept the journal for eight years, and then I wound up publishing it on a whim, and it became like one of the best-selling books on eating disorders on Amazon. Um, so what, on a practical basis, what people can do is ask yourself, what's your single worst trigger food or behavior? For, for me, it was chocolate. For some people, it might be eating standing up while they're cooking. For other people, it might be eating in the car. For other people, it might be flour or bread or pasta or Doritos or wh whatever it is. And what role would you like that food to play in your life? I, I'm not going to tell anybody what to eat. Um, I think we all have to make decisions about how what we believe is healthy and unhealthy. And um, the key is to make those decisions beforehand and really define them. So what what role would you like that to play in your life? So, you know, I'm, I will always put my fork down between bites. I will, I will never eat, you know, Doritos again. I don't mean to pick on Doritos. It could be anything. Um, what so, role do you? So we need to put. Is, you're saying we need to draw a line in the sand. We need to make a clear decision that these are kind of the rules around food. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and the, the, and then you listen very carefully for that inner voice of rationalization to try to explain to you why it's okay. And then you can either just ignore that voice once you know where it comes from because you know that's leading to no good, or you can take the time to dispute it and find the lie within it. The, re the reason that you need to 
have a clear rule and make decisions about this beforehand because it turns out, and all the research is pointing to this now, that decision-making wears down your willpower. Willpower is a fatigable muscle. It's not like an on and off switch. It's um, very much more like gas in the tank. And as we make decisions over the course of the day, especially food decisions, but not just food decisions, we have less and less ability to make good decisions. There are only so many good decisions you can make over the course of the day. And that's why people have so much trouble eating at night because by the time the evening comes around, they just can't make good decisions anymore. But if you think about the kind of person you'd like to be around a particular food, like I'm just not the kind of person that eats chocolate Monday to Friday, it's just not me. Um, then you've made all those decisions beforehand and you don't have to be constantly fatiguing your willpower. Another word for that is character building. Um, you know, if, if you walk into a diner and the waitress says, I'll be right back, I just have to get you a menu, and there's a $20 bill on the table and nobody would see you take it. There's no video camera, there's nobody up at the front, um, there's no window, nobody would see you take it. Virtually everyone I ask that question says, well, I wouldn't take that because I'm not a thief. That woman worked hard for her money and you know, she deserves it. And it doesn't take willpower for them not to take the money because they've already decided about the kind of person that they want to be in that situation. It's the same thing with food. You can do the work of thinking through the kind of person you want to be around food. So may maybe you can't avoid chocolate during the week forever, but you could be the kind of person who doesn't eat chocolate during the week. It's, it's a very different way of thinking about things, and it fits very naturally into our human our human psychology. We, we couldn't function in society if we didn't have characterological ways of behaving in tempting situations. So, so I'll, I'll pause there. I'm sorry. Sure. So what if, what if you have someone that just binge, like binge eats all weekend or Friday night, Saturday night, they have, I don't know, you go to, the, you go to McDonald's or you have a whole pizza, you have a two-liter jug of pop or soda, you have bag of chips and you do that Friday night, Saturday night, does that is like, does that make a difference? Like, is that going to make a change if you're only doing that on the weekend and not during the week? Well, there, there are, I, I use that example so that people don't know I'm not an advocate of giving up everything, but there are some people who have to give up some substances entirely. Um, like I, I, I actually don't eat chocolate at all. My, my sister is someone who can have two squares and fold it back up and put it in her purse for later, and I, I don't know what's wrong with her. Um. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you a question, uh, Glenn, in that regard, because we do healthy, like, raw chocolate-making events. We teach people how to make raw chocolate, and sometimes we hear from our customers that say, oh, no, like, I can't have, like, I can't even have that healthy one because I'll want to eat all of it or I'll want, or that'll draw me into the sugar chocolate Tell me from your perspective, someone that has that chocolate addiction, would you be able to say, I have some healthy chocolate in my house that's you know made from all clean ingredients, raw chocolate, only a few, only a few ingredients? Or is that something you need to stay away from altogether? I can have it in my house, but I couldn't eat it. Um, I, and there's no question that you know there are antioxidants and there are certain health benefits for dark chocolate especially. Um, I'm not arguing with that at all. Um, but... There are some people who have tried six ways to Sunday to figure out how to modulate and regulate, you know, chocolate, and they just can't. And one of the ways you can tell, by the way, which kind of person you are 
is if you imagine two different rules. One would be, you know, I'll never eat chocolate again. And another would, one would be, I'll only have chocolate on social occasions or whatever, however you want to define those conditions where you, you would do it. And then imagine your future in those two different scenarios. Think of yourself one year down the road and ask yourself if you worked on complying with each of those rules, what, what do you see? How much weight would you lose or gain? What would your skin look like? How much energy would you have? How obsessed would you be with food? Um, how much presence of mind would you have? Would you be able to relate in a different way to your loved ones? Would you be doing any better at work? Really project out and paint a picture of every aspect of your life. Walk yourself through a day of your actual life during the week and see what it's like in those two different situations. If those fantasies turn out to be not that different, then it might be worth trying to conditionally manage it and have some healthy chocolate on the weekends. Um, and I'm, I'm in favor, by the way, the best way to think about it would be like you're a city traffic planner and you only want to put stoplights and stop signs and yield signs at the dangerous intersections. You don't want to put in more traffic control than is necessary because you're going to interfere with people's free movement around the city. It's the same thing with these rules. You're, you're looking for that sweet spot where you're protecting yourself from danger, but you're still maximizing your freedom. And you know you got it right when you feel more free with food, when you actually, you're able to enjoy food without obsessing about it. That's when you know that you got it right. So there's, I'm not arguing for people to become food Nazis and you know, live on dirt and rocks and vegetables. Um, I, I really do think food is meant to be enjoyed and, and, you know, there are things that are very healthy for one person that are very addictive for another person. So it's a matter of figuring out who you are. Does that answer your question, Drew? Yeah, I think that, yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of people that struggle with one thing or a certain thing. So if, uh, if they need to avoid it altogether, or if there's a, a way that they can implement, I think that. Yeah, I think that, that that answered our question for some of those listeners. Uh, Glenn, I wanted to ask you a question about what you mentioned there in the, uh, not, just a few minutes ago about having making those decisions, especially late into the evening. And I think that I've read some, and I'd imagine as a psychologist, you could give us some examples. But I know I took some of these courses when I was in university as well, and I remember how there was one example about you can it was i think it was cake like so many cakes and there there was fruit fruit and then um it, it basically wore, it basically wore down their willpower to say no to this cake the more times it was presented to them which was interesting to me how you said that at the end of the day it's the hardest it's the hardest time for us to make these um conscious decisions around quality types of foods or healthy foods what would you say to someone that struggles in the evening? And, and as you were saying, we know it's challenging the later in the day it gets or the more decisions you have to make. So now here we are, it's the evening time and we're watching a movie and we want a snack or we start to crave. What, what are we going to do with those people? How do they make the right decisions? Well, it's much better to fix it before you get there. Um, you know, when the obviously there are some very standard things you can do like, um, you know, meditate or take a walk or, you know, eat something healthy but filling. Um, maybe it's a green smoothie, maybe it's a salad, whatever it is. But what's much better is to sit down for five minutes in the morning and plan out what you're going to have at night when you get back. Um, what's much better is to look at your day and try to program in a little bit more self-care over the course of the day. So 
We know that decision-making fatigues willpower, but self-care restores it. So it could be a 15-minute nap. It could be that you have two more five-minute breaks during the day to walk outside and just breathe without anybody impinging on you to decide anything. Um, It could be that you make sure to eat a little bit more and healthier during the day so that you're maintaining your blood sugar and you don't feel like you're starving by the time that you you get home at night. It could be, by the way, managing the number of other decisions that you make over the course of the day, kind of batching them up and eliminating some of them. And one of the areas, for example, that people don't realize that they're fatiguing their willpower is in managing email. If you keep your email open all day long, every time you're looking at an email, you're making a decision. Should I Should I delete it? Should I spam it? Should I delegate this? Should I uh, respond to it? How do I respond to it? Do I have to, do I have to defer it and, you know, make a date to do it later? Do I have to talk to someone and get some more information about this? It's decision after decision after decision after decision. So if you can do them in batches, if you can uh, put more filters on your email so that some of those decisions are made for you, if you can look at some of the meetings that you go through during the day, do you have to have that many meetings? If you can if you can minimize the decision-making requirements that you go through over the course of the day, then you'll have more willpower when, it, when, it, when you get home at night. It's, it's, it's really interesting. There's a whole bunch of studies where um, they showed that people had trouble resisting marshmallows after they did math problems. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, that, that meant that Henry Ford said that thinking is the hardest work there is, and that's why hardly anybody does it. It, it really is hard work. It does burn glucose in the brain, and um, it does burn down your willpower tank. So a whole bunch of things, practical steps like that to manage it. Um, sometimes looking at the day as a whole when you get up first thing in the morning and asking yourself, well, where are the trouble spots with food? When, when am I going to actually get breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Where is that going to be available to me? What do I have to stock up in the car? What do I have to pack up in some Tupperware? Um, how am I going to get through the day in a really healthy way? Um, you don't you don't want to leave these things to come upon you and being surprised. And people people will say they don't have time to do this, but how much time and productivity does it take to recover from pig slop? Right? How much time from the junk you put in your body? How much time and productivity and energy does the degradation and confidence and self-esteem um, from carrying around some extra weight take it. I think people don't have time not to do it. That that five or 10 minutes to do the planning first thing in the morning means everything during the day. So I I think it's um, it's kind of a really important thing to, to work on. Yeah, well, without question, I think prevention is much better than treatment. It's something that we try to preach to our listeners and followers as well. Glenn, it's time to wrap things up here. We only have a couple minutes left. I want to give you an opportunity to mention your website, your books, or anything else you want to share with our audience in case they want more information about who you are and what you do. Well, I actually make the book available for free in Nook, Kindle, and PDF format. And I've got a whole bunch of other reader bonuses you can get along with that book. Uh, If you just go to neverbingeagain.com and click on the big red free bonus button. The other things that we will give you are a um, a set of recorded interviews where I'm actually coaching people through this system. It, it sounds a little harsh in theory when we talk about it here, Drew and I, in the abstract, but if you actually hear people restoring their hope and enthusiasm as I coach them through it, um, you'll get excited and feel like this is actually possible for you to do yourself, and that, that's all free. And I've created a bunch of food plan starter templates. So these are sets of rules 
that you can modify to your own liking. And there's a set for, you know, paleo, there's a set for vegans, there's a set for um, people that count points, there's a set for calorie counters, macrobiotic, low carb, high carb, whatever dietary philosophy you really want to follow, we've created a set of rules. And um, it's just a starter template. You modify them however you want to. But it's all at neverbingeagain.com, including the free book, neverbingeagain.com. Click on the big red button and get the um, get the free bonuses. Fantastic, Glenn. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your time with us, your expertise and tips. We so much appreciate it. Thank you for the time. All right, that's going to wrap things up for this edition of Exploring Mind and Body. As always, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for tuning in and being a part of our True Form Life community. Thanks to Dr. Glenn for coming on and being a part of the show and sharing his expert tips with us as well. If you want more details as to what we have going on, head over to trueformlife.com. We are offering exclusively for Exploring Mind and Body listeners $1 for the first month of our monthly membership. This is where we put together recipes, grocery shopping lists, at-home fitness routines, and 24-7 group support. We have had recently two of our members quit smoking. We have had others increase confidence and drop inches. And if you're looking for things to snack on in the evening, if you're struggling with binge eating, we can certainly help with our customized meal planning. Check that out at trueformlife.com. We also have a free app that you can download on any Apple device so you can download the show with you and take it with you wherever you go. All past shows are going up on exploringmindandbody.com. So if you ever miss a show, you can go back and check the shows out there. I'm going to leave you with that. Once again, thank you so much for being here. That's it. That's all I got. I'm out of here. As always, I'm your host, Drew Taddea, and health and fitness for a better world. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Exploring Mind and Body with True Form Life's Drew Taddea, fitness expert. To find out more about the show, Drew Taddea, or to listen to past shows, visit exploringmindandbody.com.